Today is the last day to make your voice heard in the Stats and Stories 300th episode data visualization contest. Go to statsandstories.net slash voting and select your favorite finalist before it's too late. Last month, I was lucky to be able to attend the 64th World Statistics Congress hosted by the International Statistical Institute in Ottawa, Canada. While I was there, I was able to talk to a number of amazing statisticians and data scientists for the show, including both of our guests today. Our first guest is Matthew Shearing. Shearing is a private sector consultant working globally in partnership with the public, private, and not-for-profit sectors on improving official statistics and other data systems, monitoring and evaluation, and embedding official statistics standards in wider international development. Well, I'm still at the International Statistical Institute World Statistics Congress. It's been a great great time. I get to see colleagues that I haven't seen for quite a while. I mean, heck, I get to see people in three dimensions instead of the two dimensions of a Zoom conference. So this has been great. And one of the great aspects of it is I've had a chance to, to, to host some conversations. Today, the conversation is going to be with Matthew Shearing. He is the director of Clode Consultants. But for our purposes in this conversation, the most important part of who he is, is he is the co-chair of the Capacity Building Committee. So Matthew, I want to say welcome. Hi, guys. Thanks well, for having me. Oh, it's, it's, it's truly a delight. And, and I, I'm just so excited about the work that you and the, the ISI Capacity Building Group are involved in. And, and let's unpack that. Let's start this conversation. So can you tell me a little bit about what is your perception, what is your perspective on what the ISI does and who the, who the ISI is? Great. Th thank you, John. Um, well, for me, the, I the ISI is something special. Um, I've worked in statistics for a long time, and mostly in government statistics, uh, official statistics. Uh, and I've been a member of the ISI also for a long time. And, and for me, the ISI I is a place where professionals who are passionate about statistics from all over the world uh, can come and talk in, a, in, a, in an environment without any vested interests, to help each other to, to learn about statistics and to maximize the impact of what we do in the world. And that's quite special. Yeah, gee, gee, none of that sounds bad, does it? <laughs> what, a, what a great opportunity to be able to do that. So, so let's transition that from kind of this, this hosting umbrella to the idea of capacity building. And you know, when you hear that, you go, a capacity to do what? Mm -hmm. And you know, promoting it to do what? So can you talk a little bit about how you think about capacity building? Yeah, well, it's, it's a good question in the sense that I've had to ask that, that myself <laughs> that question. <laughs> and actually, I think that, that most of what the ISI does or professional statistical societies is capacity building and that in the sense of helping each other to improve on what we do, uh, to create knowledge. But I, I think that uh, given the ISI, uh, given what it is as an organization, which is truly global, it cuts across sectors and disciplines. People are motivated by a passion for statistics and, and uh, statistical science for a better world. This is a, this is a this is a unique opportunity for us to work together as a community to actually share our knowledge across different disciplines so government statisticians need to talk to academics more business uh, people need to talk to uh, these other groups even more and this is particularly relevant in the modern data ecosystem where boundaries are being being thrown down and new challenges are coming up so so maybe it would help to, to give an example 
of, of something that might be part of a capacity building effort? Yeah, so in, in the case of the ISI, I think using the, the strengths that we have, um, I think one of the, the key challenges of uh, today's society is around uh, the use of artificial intelligence and the ethical implications thereof. Uh, and what we know is that uh, all forms of society, or all sides of society are, are thinking about these issues. But in the ISI, we have knowledge from across different disciplines that can help us solve some of these problems. Official statisticians have been grappling with ethics for <laughs> decades and decades, uh, and that can be really brought to bear, for instance. Okay, so, so there is, within the organization, there are groups that have helped define kind of principles and of practical ethics in the profession. And so now you're also, there's, there are other groups that think about artificial intelligence, particularly in maybe a statistical computing or predictive modeling sense or in industrial applications. So those are the, those are the teams. I, I, you know, one aspect that where I've seen ISI involved in, in capacity building in the past has included working with some of the, some mid-level managers in official statistics in various countries around the world that are trying to, to increase their ability to do the work. You know, th when I think of capacity building, that seems to be the, the, the important thread, that, that a group recognizes a need within their community and that they're looking for partners mm -hmm. to help them to, to kind of raise their, their abilities to address that. Yeah, uh, well, that's a very important part of where I, I think the ISI could have more impact. Uh, and actually, it's about not thinking about statistics in a very technical sense uh, and not thinking about the science of it, but thinking about how we can share our knowledge and experience of how to operate as, as professional, uh, high-impact individuals within any teams that we're, we're brought into work in. And I think traditionally, statisticians are uh, at least stereotyped to be introverted <laughs> um, and actually very highly technically well-skilled, but uh, we know across different fields now that we need to uh, grow statisticians and data professionals have good communication skills to so have a great leadership skills um, otherwise otherwise there's no point in doing what we're doing because especially in the modern era the people that are, are playing fast and loose with statistics and data they're the ones that will their voice will be heard yeah and uh, it's I and I think that it's it's important to note that that the uh, the availability of people with these skills is differs dramatically across the world you know in in some countries it's it there are a lot of people that are getting degrees in statistics and data science and are, are well positioned to assume responsibilities to help countries, you know, say, collect the official statistics that they need for making the decisions based on evidence in their communities. Whereas in others, there's just a, 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 a tremendous deficit, a paucity of people that can move into such roles. So I, I see there's just this critical piece. Yeah, you know, let me let me follow up with something that I, I know is you've been talking about or that, that, that within the, the Statistical Capacity Building Committee, you started to talk about this idea of an ISI Academy. And that, you know, so Academy brings lots of images to mind. What are, when you think, when you, why did you use that term, that expression, that description, and what is it that you're picturing in terms of the capacity building efforts that would be promoted through the Academy? Yeah, yeah so, uh, well, first and foremost, we wanted to uh, come up with a, a, way of, a way of rethinking what we do on capacity building in order to energize that environment. So coming up with a, a new concept, a new word, a buzzword if you like, a new way of branding what we do is actually an important part of yeah. getting the community to think differently and, and 
an academy is what is one thing to call it, and I think it's a it's a good one because it, it brings about trust in what what we're, what we're saying and doing. I think there's a lot of trust in the word academy, and we want to be trusted in what we do because we're statisticians. But it also it implies about uh, teaching, about transferring knowledge. So we yeah, really yeah. want to make our members transfer what they have to uh, to other members. Yeah, well, uh, you know, and I th I think that it's a it's a mistake to think of capacity building as being just you know just for someone else I mean I I think of my own career trajectory as one of ongoing capacity building internally pers personally but also within my own community of practice but but this is actually extending you know recognizing not only that for us but for for the entire community of uh, folks like us too yeah and exactly so the, the I think for every ISI member in the future that the, the concept of the academy can be motivational in that uh, in, in teaching and in sharing knowledge you actually gain knowledge uh, and you actually develop yourself so uh, what we want to create is uh, is a community of statistical professionals which can find benefit in in transferring knowledge discussing and growing it with others so there's a there's a win-win for all of our members and actually that with wider society because we're helping to solve problems in a more innovative way breaking down those barriers which stop academics talking to government statisticians in the past these kinds of things you know. well look at this I mean we have an academic talking to a, a you know a former academic and a former government statistician talking so you know there's hope there's there's hope here so so if it, let, let's let's think about a future where this is wildly successful I'm a, I'm a pretty optimistic person so so if you were to, th to project into the future if if this ISI Academy really is is me just achieving the dream that you have for it what might that look like well, I think for me, uh, that would first and foremost rely on people buying into the idea to give to give more momentum to what I've just talked about. And that means increasing our membership by a large amount. And that actually means redefining ourselves from just being about statistical science to being inclusive of data science, to being inclusive of a data industry where people can coalesce around those kind of principles I suggested earlier scientific independence, a passion for impact, these kinds of things. Uh, and once we have that, we have a, we have a solid base uh, to take things forward. Uh, and those members should be actively involved in solving some of the, 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 the greatest challenges we have around the, the globe today, which, which numbers can help to solve. Yeah, I, I, I know when I, when I was looking through some of the things that were listed as part of the, the topics that this ISI Academy might address, you know, there was the, the climate change was one of the things that, that was sort of the, the big pictures. But there would be professional development, the idea of statistical and data literacy, ethics, the idea of statistical and data communities being part of the, the who would be addressed by this, and the idea of scientific independence and public voice. This particular effort on, on forming an ISI Academy is going to involve a lot of really big ideas. And, and it's, it's both exciting and I'm sure a little scary because there's stuff to be done. So, so why don't you tell me, if, uh, you know, tell us, share with us a little bit about what are the next steps? Well, well, for me, it's about generating generating interest in priority areas. So things which uh, our members are really interested in that can also have a big impact on on the world. So we can prove that we can add value as an ISI institution, working together uh, in capacity building. And for me, actually, it's about thinking big. Uh, we we do a lot of capacity building at the moment in terms of uh, statistical literacy. So thinking about how we better educate people in the use of data and statistics, which goes on at school level, it goes on at graduate level, and it should go on. At ministerial level, decision-making level, so supporting all sections of society. And what I'd really like to do is bring together thinking about, well, a theory of change here. If we put effort into these, uh, into these, all these areas, 
uh, how in five, ten years' time will that mean that we have a we, we produce better societies based on evidence-informed decision-making, uh, these kinds of things. Um, so it's me, it's about thinking big and thinking about we've got tremendous uh, influence on really important areas of society. So how do we bring together our skills and knowledge across these disciplines to actually uh, implicate uh, implicate change across society? You know, I find myself thinking of this as a, a, a real meta question. How do you build the capacity to do capacity building? You know, and, and, and that sounds like that, that sounds like it's foundational to the effort that you're going to be, be leading. Oh, 100%. So we, we can envisage that we can work together as professionals to do some of these things, but we also need to realize that we need to develop our capacity internally to be able to deliver on some of these uh, promises which we might make to society. Um, and I think s largely some of that is around uh, going beyond our technical skills, so thinking about how good are we at teaching, we might be good at statistics or data science or whatever. How good are we at transferring that knowledge? And then what about the mechanisms for doing it? Do we have sustainable ways of doing this that can have long-term impacts? I, I, you know, that's that is it, it's a great aspiration. I mean, I, I'm I'm very hopeful and I'm very excited about the the prospect into this future. It, it sort of how how might someone get involved in capacity building with this effort? Um, well, uh, first and foremost, become an ISI member, which gives you an access to uh, being involved with this development. But I'm, I'm just really willing to hear what ideas people have that are based on these, these, this, this, this concept that we have. Um, and essentially, um, if people have got ideas about how we can make a, a bigger difference in the world, working across the sectoral boundaries, disciplinary boundaries, using our network of people based on uh, scientific independence and scientific methods, then I, I just want to hear about them. <laughs> and then we can feed that into the development of, of, of what we're doing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very hopeful that we're going to find partners around the world. And they may be partners that are national statistical societies. You know, like the American Statistical Association would be one. The Royal Statistical Society is another. There's so, there's so there are lots of, of colleagues, you know, that many of us have homes both in our national societies as well as the international operation. And, and the thing that I, I find really encouraging and exciting is that it's often capacity building the thought of being engaged in that and involved in it that, that will attract people to think about this, this international connection. Yeah, and I also think it's it's also important that we, we look outside those usual the usual suspects in our community. So actually, in building building um, building capacity is is about building our building our ability to work with par partners we've never worked with before, uh, but partners who are interested in making the world a better place, and they know that data and statistics are one way one way of doing that. What we have to do is present ourselves as a professional community, but statisticians, data scientists, in a way that appeals to people outside of this community that they can work with us to fund us, provide resources, to provide momentum. And that way we work together with a wide range of partners to um, make the world a better place. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing a, 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 a really great opportunity for people to be involved, that, that this is a call and an invitation for folks that have a passion for, for kind of partnering to help, help make things work better. And, and it, gosh, it's, it's hard to imagine something that would be a higher call. So, so Matthew, I want to thank you again for taking the time, but but thank you for for providing the leadership and and vision and the partnership that you have with with others, such as Oliver Chinganya, for with 
you know, David Stern, with some of the other partners that I know are working with you. I, it's, it's just an outstanding effort and much appreciated. <laughs> well, thank you very much. But uh, it really depends on those people you mentioned and more. And uh, we only succeed if others also try to lead this process and help shape it in a way which works for everybody. Well, I, I have the feeling I may be on your hit list in the future, and that would be <laughs> a good thing. And so, so thanks again, Matthew. My pleasure. Thank you. Our next guest is David Stern. Stern is a mathematical scientist and educator. He is a former lecturer in the School of Mathematics, Statistics, and Actuarial Sciences at Maseno University in Kenya and a founding board member of the African Maths Initiative, AMI. At the World Statistics Congress, there's been a tremendous number of conversations related to statistical capacity building and what that might mean and what that looks like now and what it might look like into the future. On this episode of Stats and Stories, we're going to have a chance to talk with David Stern, who's the co-founder of IDEMS International, a not-for-profit social enterprise organization. But, but David has been very involved in the ISI statistical capacity efforts. Currently, he serves as an ISI council member. He also serves on the International Statistical Literacy Project Advisory Board and has formerly was a vice president of the International Association for Statistical Education. So, so David, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. Oh, it's great to be here. Uh, you know, it's it's such an important effort. I know that ISI states as one of its strategic priorities that capacity building is something that it wants to do well. So, so I guess I would start with asking you, what is capacity building? What do you think of when you think capacity building? And that's, from my perspective, I spend a lot of my time working across Africa, east-west Africa, and capacity building is, is, to me, central to the aspect that a lot is known of how to do things. And, and it's just that, actually, that knowledge of what is known isn't spread far enough. And so we need mm -hmm. to spread it further, and we need to share that. You know, what is known to, to the experts is brand new to other people. And so capacity building is just catching people up with the latest knowledge of, of how, to, how to do statistics, why it's important. And, and how to think about teaching it, of course. Uh, so, so, you know, what's the advantage of catching people up? What's, why, why, should, why shouldn't they just keep doing things the way they do it? I'll give you a very simple example. I worked at a Kenyan university for, I went there for six months and stayed for six years. <laughs> visa, <laughs> visa, visa problems? I mean, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, sort of, it's more I arrived, and, and I, I arrived as a pure mathematician um, whose sort of background was really um, rather theoretical, and I left as the vice president of the International Association of Statistics Education because the need was so great for data. I went in and I was teaching, you know, I was asked to teach on an MSc in Applied Statistics. And I knew enough about Applied Statistics that having an MSc in Applied Statistics, which didn't use a computer, you know, 15 years ago even, that was not appropriate. <laughs> and so, so I knew enough that actually those skills, the students coming out of them weren't going to have the skills they needed unless they got that exposure. Oh. Very simple example. So, that, so that's an example of, of kind of working in partnership and, and that seems to be a critical aspect of capacity building, is that, that here you are working with colleagues in this, in, at this university and saying, wait, you know, let's, let's talk about how do we bring this, this education up to kind of the, sta the standard of current practice. Absolutely. It's, that, it's, it's this idea that actually, you know, I had a student there who was part of those initial master's students who now, who then became later the vice president of IAC as well because 
what he then took away, he then took much further than I did. He was teaching the sort of classes that I never got to teach, you know, basic first-year undergraduate classes, and where the sort of ideas I was doing at postgraduate level, you know, he was now taking those same ideas and exposing the first-year undergraduates to them. Same with another student who then sort of said, well, actually, you know, I'm teaching in a school. These same ideas which you're teaching me at postgraduate level, I should be teaching these at school. I should be getting my students at school to know about them. And so it's not about... Um, it's exactly what you say. It's about partnership. It's about collaboration. It's about people taking the things they experience, bringing them into their own context, and now applying them and sharing them more widely. So, yeah, I'm hearing almost this, this in the educational capacity building sense, a train-the-trainer kind of phenomenon. Absolutely. And it's not just about training the trainer. And one of the things which is... Um, there's a wonderful example in Kenya of um, a cascade model of training. Oh yeah, right. You train the trainer of trainer and so on. And the point is it becomes, um, you know, by the time you get to the bottom, all the substance has been lost. Mm. And so there's, there's also elements, and this is actually one of the big learnings we've had from these sorts of experiences. When you're trying to train 10,000 teachers, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you have a cascade model, well, what are you actually training the ones at the bottom of the cascade? Okay, okay. And so one of the things, this is where, to me, the game changer is open educational resources. Ah. Because then suddenly that doesn't change as you go down the pyramid. You know, you okay. actually get substance which stays the same. And if it stays the same all the way to the learner, then you've really won. Okay. Because then actually you've got your ideas where your trainers are now facilitators of learning. And this is one of the things which, in pedagogical terms, everybody knows, everybody talks about, you know, your teachers, your educators shouldn't be the source of the knowledge, they should be the facilitators of learning. But what does that really mean? And if you can do that through open educational resources, then suddenly, you know, that facilitation mode means that you don't actually lose the substance as you go down these pyramids of cascading training. So can you give an example of, of some of the open educational resources that, that you've been involved with helping develop? Yeah, well, uh, my, the most exciting one I can't take credit for, it's a guy at the University of um, Edinburgh who's been working on it for about 20 years now, and it's called Stack. And it's an electronic assessment system. It's open source. It's part of Moodle, uh, just a learning management system. And it's just a question type. But it's transformed the way universities have been able to adopt um, learning because what it means is we can give automated feedback. And so if you have a class with a 1,000 students, you know, my, I mentioned my uh, colleague who's now teaching first-year undergraduate, you know, Unfortunately for him, when I was there, I set up five new degree programs, and they became very successful. <laughs> so he now has classes of a thousand students. So he's not, so he's not sure, sure whether to thank me. I, or I was going to say. I was going to say. I wonder how much he appreciates that. <laughs> yeah, but but now you get class these classes of over a thousand students, and how a single lecture, of course, no tutorial oh, assistance, and and so how can you give a good education in that context? And and the key point is you have to have feedback. Okay. If you don't have automated feedback, okay, okay. there's no chance of him giving individual feedback to the students. So automated feedback is, is key. And so these open educational resources, which can enable you to have questions with automated feedback, you know, they're great. And he's been doing it at his university, but then just very recently we did a workshop at another university where the statisticians there just said, oh, we, want, we, we really need to change the way we're teaching. How are we doing this? And I said, well, have you talked to James? If you've not talked to James, you should talk to James because he's got all these open education resources. And the whole department then picked it up 
in his department, he's the only one driving it. But their department picked it up at scale. And this is the real power. Okay. okay. So, so you have something like this, and 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 you know, so some of this I'm hearing matchmaking of, yes, with, of exactly. sort of sort of that that in some sense you need this clearinghouse. You have both the resources being developed, and there has to be a clearinghouse that then helps pairing up people that are doing this. So, so I, it seems natural that there would be the, the statistical capacity building efforts that you're involved with at a pro professional society level might be one of those where places where the clearinghouse might start to be developed. Or, or, or not. I mean, help, help me think okay, about that. So, so, so it's interesting. So to me, what's really interesting is most of the initiatives I've found of successful have not come from the societies. They've come from the bottom up. Yeah. But what the societies provide is they provide the opportunity for essentially acknowledgement of standard, differentiation. Mm -hmm. You know, actually one of the problems you know, from the bottom-up initiatives is that it's very difficult to tell the difference between good bottom-up initiatives and bad bottom-up initiatives. And, and that's where the societies potentially really come in. One of the things I'm really excited about, about the vision ISI now has for the, the, the academy and so on, is that it could play a sort of accreditation role. Ah, so that's quality assurance within Quality this. assurance, but, yeah. but also then sharing in a way which is um, more, more informed. So, and a lot of these things, capacity building is really hard. Yeah. Um, and, and actually being able to bring in experts in education who can support that and who can make sure that you're bringing in, thinking about how to do this well, and then help the iterations. All the good initiatives I know now, broadly, they've taken 10 years to get to where they are. And they'll take another 10 years to actually reach their potential. You know, <laughs> you know this is the thing. There's a, there's a journey. And often individuals can't sustain something for that long. It has to go beyond an individual. You, you used a word that I, I was thinking a lot about just as you were talking, and that is sustainability. Yeah. You know, that, that in some sense, I, you know, I, I do agree with you that, that having the bottom-up initiatives are critical, having some kind of way to help promote and maybe facilitate sustaining these is something where a professional organization can, can help. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and I gave a talk about, I think it was about 2015 or so, I gave a talk. I think it was at the, it was either the World Statistics Congress or the satellite for the ISA. And, um, and basically my talk was explaining how I'd failed over the last sort of six or, or more years, and every single initiative I'd started had failed. Mm. And, you know, they'd been really impactful, and I'd been writing about them. This is why I was well-known. This is why I was the vice president. <laughs> and so I then gave a talk about how all of them had failed and how all of them were being reborn, but not by me, by my students, by others, and by taking them up and building on what I'd done. And that, that cycle is something which was really hard for me to accept, of recognizing that... They had to fail because I couldn't sustain the effort that I was putting in at the beginning to make them work. And, and yet that failure wasn't a total failure because they'd so sowed the seeds for others to pick them up and run with them. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really important message that, that any effort like this, it's, it can't be individual, sus individually sustained, that it has to find some, it has to be embraced by a broader community to be able to be promoted and, and maintained into the future. There has to be, well, s I'm not talking about, I'm talking about in, it could be individuals too. That, well, that well, this is, this is, this is so what I, in, in that particular talk, my conclusion was that yes, there's a, there's a role for societies, you know, like ISI and others to play. Yeah. But actually, the more important thing is to think about COVID. 
Um, you know, it, it's I don't want to think about COVID anymore, David. <laughs> <laughs> Neither do I. But, you know, COVID was extremely successful because, you know, generally speaking, the R number was greater than one. So as long as, as, long as when you've got your interventions, your R number is greater than one, the intervention will grow. It will evolve. It will become more. We need to think about viral scaling. Viral capacity building. I, I, I think that... Uh, I'm, I'm now picturing a new organization, the, a new label, the, you know, no, no, VSCB, Viral <laughs> Statistical Capacity Building as, as a model. I, I, I like I, that. You know, and, you know, one thing I, I think a lot about in the context of international organizations or, you know, kind of the practice of statistics, you don't want to reinvent what others have done. Like you gave the example of one, one institution and the, the work with this open educational resource going to another. I, you know, I, in many places, Throughout Africa, you could have how many official languages in a yeah. in a country, and and you know even within within ISI, if I were just thinking about, well, English is great, but you know the UN has what four or five other official languages, so you know yeah. maybe you want to think about the the Spanish speaking countries, the Lusophones, the Francophone countries, and then and then Arabic countries and Chinese in terms of other languages. So how how, how do we think about taking kind of the good work that that's done kind of in a local context and and add its value to make it more generalizable to other contexts? What well, I this is a hard problem. That's part That's of why it. I <laughs> asked you. I figured you could solve this. <laughs> well, so we are actually, this is as an organization, this is central to what we try and do, that we're trying to rethink how tech is built. Mm. And the whole mm. point is that actually a lot of tech, you know, generally speaking, the way tech's built at the moment, it's come from commercial companies. And it's very simple. You find a market, you study the market, you figure out what will be successful in that market, and you build for that. And if it's successful, then maybe others outside that market will also use it. But that's how you build successful tech. If you want to have social impact, you're building for the margins. Every marginal group is different. And so what happens if you design tech or if you design solutions not thinking about a single group but thinking about how you make it adaptable for the margins? This is what we try and do. This is where this is it's a new way of thinking about it and it's sort of very simple. It's the same thing for the capacity building. Instead of thinking about building a course Think about how you build components of a course which come together into a course which now in different contexts people can adapt. How do you make it easy for them to adapt it to their context? So when you're designing that initial course with experts, you're not designing a course. You're designing a way for people to adapt and customize and build their own courses. And, and this is where I'm so excited with the ISI Academy, because essentially there were groups like GIST who were designing these courses, and they're designing them globally. Right. If only now we could say, well, okay, a group like ISI could say, well, okay, let's take that. We're experts on this. Take what you've got. Let's make this adaptable so people can customize it. These are open educational resources. Everybody would be happy with yeah. this. Yeah. But the systems to do that don't exist yet. We need, we, we need groups who are built around trying to do that, make things adaptable, designing for adaptability, rather than designing for a target audience. 
I, yeah, so, so I, I love this. Now, I'm, now I've got viral capacity building and also <laughs> the, you know, building for the margins, serving yeah. the margins. Yeah. And, and you know, I think this is, this is a great aspiration. And I, I, I love this, this model. And, and clearly our focus here has been capacity building in the context of education yeah. and, and sort of thinking about how that, you, you know, you said cascading is, you know, can be a positive mental model, but it can have a diminishment of the quality of the message through the cascade. So, so building to that and also building in a modular way is what I'm what I'm exactly yeah. and if you think about that you think about now if you think about your cascade yeah. in this context yeah. it transforms because you're no longer asking people to cascade the same thing you're asking them to say, well, how would you adapt this for your context, for those that you know, for those who you're mm -hmm. serving? Mm -hmm. So you're not asking them to simply remember, take in, and re-deliver. Mm -hmm. You're asking them to adapt. Oh, very good. Well, you know, I, I want to hear more in the future. So I'm, I'm going to put, I'm going to put a pin here in terms of saying. <laughs> You know, now I want to know what's going to happen a year from now or two years from now as these capacity efforts, as this ISI Academy that's being launched it takes hold and grows. So I, I, I just want to thank you, David, for taking the time and for all the good work that you've been doing. <laughs> thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's been a delight. That's in Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media Journalism and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter, Apple Podcasts, or other places where you can find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on our program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.